Hello, and welcome to In Person, brought to you by Bizabo. In each episode of In Person, we explore the world's most daring events and the people who make them happen. In case you and I haven't already met, I'm Brandon Raffleson. Really excited to share today's episode with Sarah Garlick. Sarah is the VP of events at Rakuten, where she leads the America's event team and planning the company's flagship event, Optimism, as well as 30 plus other events around the world. Sarah has worked at events since 2006. She's been named Corporate Event Planner of the Year by BizBash and Corporate Planner of the Year by Event Solutions. We recorded this episode in early March, which, given how rapidly the situation around COVID-19 has escalated, seems like much more than just a month ago. Even then, the disease was having a notable impact on the events industry. While Sarah and I do specifically discuss the implications of COVID-19 for events toward the end of our conversation, many of the topics we touch on early in our conversation, though not explicitly about COVID-19, in retrospect, seem extremely prescient for the moment that we are all find ourselves in. For instance, Sarah shares how she launched her events career amidst the financial crisis of 2008, a time riddled with many of the uncertainties that we are facing today. We also discuss the different ways that you can tie an event, whether in-person or virtual, to larger business outcomes and measure them. We discussed event ROI, working as part of a distributed team, and leading through adversity. I found our conversation to simultaneously be a window into a world of normalcy that seems very far away from today, a window into a world of uncertainty in which we are all currently living, and a window into a world of not uncertainty, which just might be right around the corner. Okay, let's get to it. To start off, could you tell us a little bit more about your current responsibilities as the VP events at Rakuten? I've been with Rakuten now for a little over 10 years. I can't believe it's it's been a decade. And my role at the company has evolved over the time that I've been there, working in various areas. So focused on one piece of a business, then going to global events for five years, And more recently, I'm now focused on the Americas. So Rocketon has expanded in the Americas. We've acquired many different business units, and we have a lot of events happening now. I'm the head of of events for Rocketon Americas. I lead our flagship event, Optimism, which is in its third year this year in October. And that's our large 3,000-person event where we bring all the business units together for a really jam-packed day of education and entertainment. And then in addition to that, we plan our conferences for the advertising part of the business, Rakuten Advertising. We also manage the sales presence at any industry events. So if Rakuten is going to have a large presence at, for example, Shop Talk is a large industry event for us, we manage the participation there. And then outside of the events, I, of course, manage working with marketing leaders and sales leaders to make sure that our event strategy is in line with what they want to do every single year and and what their goals are because we want to make sure our events are supporting the teams across the business units, handling contracting and budgeting, facilitation of agenda building for our optimism event, and then managing an amazing team of four event planners that help us pull all of this off every year. 
That's so cool. And you know, one of the things I really find valuable about your perspective is the fact that you've been with Rakuten, which is this already a huge company. And at the time when you joined at events, they were kind of doing one thing and that events program has grown pretty significantly over those 10 years that you've been there. As you said, you've had a lot of experience doing different things. I'd love to hear a little bit more about how your role has evolved at Rakuten over those years. But even before then, I mean, let's take it back all the way to... 2006, and maybe beforehand, maybe a little bit after, I don't know. But I know you've been working at events since then. Could you briefly walk us through like the different steps of your career from then to now that have led to where you are today? Yeah, definitely. So I have been doing events ever since I graduated from college, which was, was that 13 years ago now, maybe, maybe even longer. I can't do that math. I don't know if I want to do the math, but- um, <laughs> 13-ish. Yeah, 13-ish. But when I when I graduated from college, I honestly didn't know what I wanted to do for a career. I majored in communications because it didn't require a lot of math classes. And I was interested in the topic, but I didn't really see a career path coming out of school of, of what to do. So I was applying for jobs all over the place. And a company, an organization, I should say, called the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, where I had done an internship, was hiring an event coordinator. I applied for that job. And I got the job and I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to take it. I don't know if I want to do events. I've never really planned events before, but we'll see how it goes. And I was really interested in the industry, which in healthcare. So I was really thrown into the fire for my first event. One of the event managers had left. I was hired as an event coordinator and they asked me to take on a really large 1500 person conference with some oversight from a manager, but really just flying by the seat of my pants, didn't know what I was doing and and just taking my best my best guess. It was a hard event to get through, but in the end, I really enjoyed it. And I decided that this was something that I really wanted to pursue. My boss at the time sat me down after the large event and said, hey, this is something you can turn into a career. You can get your CMP. There's a true trajectory here for somebody that wants to make a lifetime career out of this. And so I decided to go down that path. So after working at the healthcare company, I decided I wanted a change of pace and I found a temporary position in Israel at the David Intercontinental Hotel. And I thought, this is great. I can get international experience. I can uh, get the hotel side and then ultimately come back to the U.S. And my plan was to settle back in California, where I was originally from, to be near my family and try and find a job there. But when I got back, it was in the middle of the recession. So it was not the best time to find a job. I applied for quite some time. I I think it was around four or five months. And, you know, considering it was a recession, actually, that's not that bad. But I tried PR. That wasn't for me. And I was really lucky because I I got the interview at Rock 10 and I flew to New York and a couple months later I ended up getting the job. So I moved to New York. Of course, I as I said, I, I thought I was going to end up putting my roots back down in California, but off I went to Manhattan. It was the best decision I made. I think Manhattan's the best city in the world. And <laughs> and then I started my decade at Rock 10. So. I think a lot of people are are used to jumping around at jobs nowadays every two years, three years. And I have people come up to me and say, how have you been there for that long? You know, don't you get bored? Isn't it, <laughs> isn't the event the same thing year after year? And that couldn't be farther from the truth. Uh, 
even if you're doing the same conference every year, it changes because you're always trying to improve upon what you've done the year prior. But the company has been growing so much and we've been adding so many new events to our portfolio. I feel like it is a new job every two years. And that's pretty much led me to today. We're focused on the Americas. Right. And so in between when you first joined Rakuten and now, there was a lot of international travel, managing events and all different parts of the globe. And, and as you mentioned today, your work is more focused on the Americas with some other global events sprinkled in. That's right. Yeah, we still do global events for our dealmaker series. All right. So when we talk about the team that you have at Rakuten right now, what does that team structure look like? You are the VP of events and who else are you working with? Yeah. So on our team, we have myself, uh, we have a director of event marketing, a event manager, an event coordinator, and then we have an event assistant who is a rotating co-op. I went to Northeastern University and they have a co-op program where uh, students will be full-time at one company for six months. And so oh, awesome. we go through the co-op program at Northeastern to get our interns. And so we are largely remote. I am based in Las Vegas. Two of our employees are based in New York. And then our rotating co-op is also based in New York. So three actually. And then another is in Boston. But we travel all the time. And we mostly communicate via Zoom, so video conferencing, and through Viber, chatting and on, on our group chat. And the team structure has worked for us uh, really well. I think one thing that I'm a big supporter of is having an intern on an event team. I think that you know there's a lot of administrative tasks that come along with events, and they're so important. I mean, running reports, handling name badges, they are vital to the success of an event. But it's a great job for an intern because they get a lot of experience within that world for six months. And then they leave at a time where maybe they might start getting a little bit bored with that type of work and wanting to expand. They go back to school and then we're able to bring in somebody else and then teach them some of the administrative base of what we need for an event. So um, that has worked really well for our team. And also, you know, no matter where you go in your career in event planning, I think whether you're an assistant or a VP, you're always going to have to do some of that type of work, no matter what. Like I said, it, it's so important, but having someone be able to dedicate themselves to that type of work is huge because it's so time consuming. Speaking of the some of the more strategic concepts around events, let's talk a little bit about ROI. I know this is something you spent a lot of time thinking about and iterating on. When it comes to proving event ROI, there are two perspectives that you've mentioned in the past that you look at events from. One perspective is uh, looking at events as directly creating ROI, and the other is influencing ROI. How does this look in practice for you and uh, Rakuten? About, maybe it was five or six years ago, I was looking at our events, and you were getting a lot of questions. What are What's the ROI on this event? And all the industry events that we go to and the events that we put on, and I had to come up with a way to show, you know, here's the benefit of, of doing this conference. And sometimes, you know, looking at ticket sales and sponsorship revenue is just not enough to show the benefit of an event. And the way that we started to look at the outcome of our events and if they were successful is categorizing our touch points with attendees. And we categorize those attendees into different buckets. So there are influenced ROI, which means that we already were in touch with this client or this prospect prior to coming to an event, but the event is just a touch point on that relationship timeline. And then they're sourced 
ROI, which means that this person's hearing about Rakuten for the first time by coming to your event. So you know that this this event started the creation of that relationship. And looking at it in those two buckets is really helpful. Of course, source is always lower than influence because at your events, you're already inviting people that you have relationships with. But even if you get two or three source relationships out of an event, that's huge and something to be highlighted. And then the other thing that we look at too is client retention. Who are our clients that are already at the event? They have a lot of value also strengthening those relationships. And so by looking at your attendees in different buckets, you're really able to put together an ROI formula for your individual company. It sounds like it'd be difficult to keep track of all of these different touch points. How is technology assisting you in doing so? So much of tracking ROI is face-to-face conversations and A lot of the time, technology can't pick up some of those interactions that are taking place. So before even getting to the technology, we also want to have a really close relationship with our sales team and our client managers so that we could talk to them and get some anecdotal feedback on people they met with and any feedback from their clients and how the events went. So that's really important. But aside from that, looking at technology, we use campaigns in a CRM. We have our sales team and our client managers go in and say, here are the people we're having conversations with so that we can easily pull that data. We also use a program called Pathable. I'm not sure if, if you've ever heard of that before, but it's a technology that allows attendees to set meetings in advance with one another prior to getting to the event, and then they meet on site. But what's really great for us is then on the back end, we can see who's meeting with who, how many meetings are taking place. So we have some conferences and 4,000 meetings take place at one conference. And that's huge for us because we're using that technology to say, hey, our event generated 4,000 meetings between our attendees at minimum. That was just pre-scheduled before people got on site. And that is a really great way to measure ROI. There's a mix of keeping track of those more qualitative elements and and having different members of the sales team make sure that they're providing that feedback, maybe taking notes on that feedback in the CRM or elsewhere. Yeah, exactly. There's also that element of within the CRM, within a campaign, making sure that the different attendees are tagged. And are you finding that you and your team are manually tagging that yourselves? That is one of the struggles I think that event planners face with ROI is getting the full amount of data that they want from the sales team and not having to go in and do the work themselves. And, you know, a lot of the time the event planner, we do have to go in and say, hey, can you give us feedback on this, this, and this? And then we'll have to go in and tag to save the sales team some time. And that is something that we're always trying to decrease the amount of time that we have to go back and input or detail out additional information. So I think that when event planners sometimes get frustrated and and say, oh my gosh, I can't believe I have to go in and and do this on my own, just know that every event planner is doing it. It's very common. (laughs) And I think if you start to think of it, well, it's kind of part of the job, it makes it a little bit easier. Are there any sort of processes that you've found to be helpful in maintaining this alignment? I think especially with the sales team, I think aligning with the general marketing team is of course another conversation, but with the sales team, before the event and after the event in terms of making sure the responsibilities are understood? I think the biggest thing is you want to be aligned and you want to know what the sales team's goals are. Does your sales team, do they like to go to the networking receptions? Do they like to work the booth? Do they like to 
scan badges at a booth, you know, or at the event, or is that something that to them is torture and that's the last thing they want to do? So maybe as an event planner, you step in and do that. So I think one of the biggest things as an event planner is figuring out how to support your team. Uh, how do they work best? And then try and put together the infrastructure for them on site at an event where they can really do their job of, of selling and you can try and collect the data as easy and simply as possible. And I think the way to do that is to get on the same page in advance of the event and make sure that your teams feel supported by the event team. Because the more they feel supported by the event team, the more they're going to want to help you. And the sales reps that we work great with are ones where we're on the same page and they're really looking out for us and we're looking out for them just as much. Are there any specific strategies around that in particular, say, making sales members feel like they are supported that you found to be helpful? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing is asking them what they want out of the event. Who are they looking to meet with? Sending them the attendee list in advance, saying, hey, here's the attendee list. Is there anyone that I can try and help you get in contact with prior to the event to set up a meeting? I think planning with them in advance of getting on site makes a big difference and open communication with them, making sure that they're prepared. I think that sometimes there are sales managers that might go into an event and the event team doesn't properly prepare them and say, here's everything that's going on. Here's where we'd like you to be. Here's the list of attendees that are going to be there, You know, giving them a lot of information so that way they can succeed. That really goes a long way. And the same thing goes along even for you know, our executives sending them a briefing book before getting to the event. Here's an outline of everything that's going on at the conference. You know, our, our executives are very busy. They don't have time to go to every single thing, but they can get a bird's eye view of the entire agenda. Again, who's going to be there? And that goes a long way. So total transparency has really contributed, I think, to the success of our events. When we're talking about a huge event like Optimism, which you mentioned is going to be going live this year in October, thousands of attendees coming to it. What are some ways that you're working with, say, your marketing or your sales team in order to drive registrations to an event like that? There's so many different ways to drive registrations to a large event. And it totally depends on your company, too, and what you're offering, who your target attendees are. So it really varies on the type of conference that you're putting on. Email marketing is big, but of course, in order for email marketing to work, you need a large recipient base for that to work because open rates in general are not huge. So if you're looking at email strategy as one that you're going to go after, my advice would be, well, make sure that you're sending your emails out to a huge, huge number of people for it to work. A big strategy is one-to-one communication. If you are a company that has clients, you know, get your account managers on the phone and have them call up clients and say, hey, you know, we'd love for you to attend. That one-to-one makes a really big difference. And social media, LinkedIn, you sure. know, LinkedIn messaging is big. And then once you have an event that people love and has been around for a while, then you just have repeat attendees. So it gets a little bit easier. You make sure that your on-site experience is wonderful for your attendees that are there. And then they'll keep coming back year after year. If we kind of take a step back to ROI, I know I kind of got us on the promotional side of things for a little bit, but if we're looking at ROI, what are some ways that if you're looking at, say, the customer sourced or the customers influenced or the amount of meetings held, what are some ways that you're looking at that information, that data, and using it to 
improve or modify your event strategy moving forward? That's, I think, the biggest thing about tracking ROI as an event planner is the whole point of tracking ROI in some way is to allow you to have more educated decisions in the future of your event calendar for the next year. Yeah, you want to know how successful an event was, but the whole point of that is to say, well, what should we do next time? We want to know how it went, and then we can decide what our strategy is going to be moving forward. So we take that data, and then we look at here are the events that worked, here are the ones that didn't work as well as we thought, and then that shapes our event calendar for the following year. And looking at perhaps how the event strategy has shifted in maybe the past five years or so, are there any sort of key takeaways or key learnings from this analysis that you found? The biggest advice I give event planners is to create a categorization strategy. As I talked about, the sourced, influenced ROI, client retention, every company is different. So you really have to think internally about who are your targeted attendees, what do you want out of the event, and then figure out how to categorize the different ways you want to look at ROI, ticket revenue, sponsorship revenue, types of clients or attendees. So that's the biggest tip I would get. Because once once you have those categories set, everything kind of starts to fall in place much easier. When we get to the root of it, what does event ROI mean to you? For me, event planning ROI is an event planner being their own advocate. I think that's really important from showing how events are supporting a business to executives, to sales, as I mentioned, to product managers, to the marketing team. People can go to an event and be on site and think, you know, this is great. This is great. And then they go home and they get busy with everything else. And the energy of that event kind of fades for everybody else besides an event planner. And by being able to show your ROI, you kind of can keep the legacy of your event ongoing for all time and say, here were the benefits. And that is a way for event planners to be their own advocate and keep the success of an event top of mind for all of their colleagues as well. I'd love to pivot a bit and talk a little bit more about you and your experiences through the events landscape, starting with challenges. Specifically, we've talked about a lot of the amazing things that are going on at Rakuten and and just some of the successes you've had around ROI and otherwise. But what's an example of something that maybe didn't go exactly according to plan at some point in your career? I love talking about event failures. I think that they are so fun to talk about. And it's a nice stress relief as well, I think, for event planners to say, can you believe this happened at my event? And it creates some humor around what we do. Because when events aren't going well, it is awful and it's not fun to deal with. But afterwards, it always creates a good story, at least. And so for me, I, I mean, so many different things happen at events crazy, unique stories that I could talk about for hours. One that comes to mind was one of my first events. It was a 2,000-person conference, and I had a place where registration was. And I was still new to events. I didn't really know how to plot out where registration should go that would be open and provide enough leeway, you know, for the line to back up if needed. So the registration line got really long. People were backed up almost like against a balcony and curving all around the place. It was awful. And 
that was just, you know, a sight to be seen. And then a few hours later, there were lines to get into some breakout sessions. And one of the attendees was talking to a colleague of mine and I saw her start to stomp her feet. And she said, this is the worst event I've ever been to. Oh no. And I was new in event planning. I thought, oh my gosh, this is terrible. Looking back, there were reasons why she couldn't get in that breakout session. She should have registered in advance and it was sold out and attendees knew that. So you look back and say, well, we've sent out these communications hundreds of times and sometimes attendees just don't read them and there's not much you can do about that. But as an event planner, I thought, oh my gosh, this is No, that's this terrible, terrible to hear. Terrible to hear. But looking back and now, 10 years later, 12 years later after being in events, it's a funny memory. And it's the only time it's happened, thank goodness, hearing an attendee say that. But another one, AV, I think AV is a huge, huge area in event planning where things go wrong. And you kind of start to put together your checklist of everything you need to check on site to decrease the chances of a microphone not working or the video not playing correctly. And I think as event planners, those things start to go wrong. And that's when you start to build up that checklist. Like, oh, this has happened. So now I know to check on this. This has happened. So 10, 12 years into your career, you have a list of 20, 30, 40 things that you're checking. But one time at an event, we had a projector blend. So it was a large screen, two different projectors, and they were supposed to blend together to make one cohesive look. And we had a really well-known speaker at the event and the blend didn't work. And we came down in the morning and the AV team said, we'll get it fixed. We'll get it fixed. And they didn't get it fixed. And so we had this great speaker on stage and the AV behind the speaker, it looked just, it didn't overlap properly. And it's one of those things that, you know, attendees didn't really notice that much, but as an event planner, you're just staring at it and you just can't believe what your eyes are seeing. Sure. Um, And for the presenter, they were probably just looking at the audience for most of the time, right? Yeah. The the presenter didn't even know what was going on. Right. But you feel it so hard as the person responsible for making this event amazing. Exactly. Yeah. You feel responsible. And then I think also the AV team felt terrible. And then I think many people might be similar and that then you're trying to make them feel better. So you're feeling <laughs> terrible, but you know, the AV, the AV person looks like they're going to cry. And so you're like, no, it's, it's okay. <laughs> These things happen. And you're trying to calm them down. And it's just, uh, it's a circus all around. <laughs> Definitely some some difficult situation to be sure. I know that one of the things you mentioned is like, wow, you experience these really terrible things, but not to overly like moralize it, but it sounds like more often than not, you leave those experiences with an idea of what to do differently in the future. I mean, you mentioned, you know, having that registration line. I don't know for a hundred percent, but I'm pretty sure since that happened way back then with the session registrations and all that, there hasn't been a the same issue. No, no, there hasn't. And it's so different now than it was back then because if you have the budget, you can do on-site registration where people go into the the tablet, type in their name. We use Visibo's product for that, for on-site reg, which is great. We used that at Optimism last year. No long lines. People <laughs> went up and their, their badge was printed. I'm sure event planners are familiar with this. People will register and the capitalization is incorrect in how they register. So as an event planner, you have to go behind the scenes and make sure it all looks right. And if not, you have to reprint their badge. There's none of doing that on-site in an event now when you have on-site printing. So that is the way that technology has so, solved <laughs> an event planning problem. So, so learning lessons, in some cases, technology can help. But then I know, you know, there are other things that you've taken on yourself, for instance, with that AV issue. 
I know we kind of talked about this in the past when we had you on for a webinar, but this idea of like the double check checklist that you've put together for you and your team to make sure that when you're doing multiple events that everything is taken care of. Yeah, it's about not only making sure that you have checked the box, but your vendors have checked the box as well of things that you've asked them to look for. Like that projector blend, you know, making sure that, you know, if if the projector blend wasn't working the night before, then making a call that night and saying, okay, let's revise what this stage is gonna look like as much as we can for the following morning so that way we don't have to troubleshoot an hour before the show kicks off. Having that double check checklist and making sure your vendors are checking off as well really decreases the number of event fails, as I call them, <laughs> on site. <laughs> I also want to talk a little bit about this ebook that you are currently in the process of writing about building a career in events. It's filled with a lot of great advice from what I've heard. One of the points that you cover is how to fast track an events career. So with that in mind, what have you personally found to be valuable in fast tracking your own career in events, having started out right after college with a job in events, then taking some time more on the hospitality side, and then eventually making your way back at Rakuten? It's funny that you asked this question because earlier this week, I was writing a top 10 tips for corporate job for a friend that was venturing into more of a corporate setting than they had been in before. Outside of events, some of my tips were to, if you're working in an office, arrive early and leave a little bit late every day for the first year because it shows that you're really committed and you're visible. And I think that in the long run, that gives you a lot of autonomy because people then understand your work ethic. Send weekly updates. So whoever your boss is, whether they ask for it or not, send them a bulleted list every Friday, end of day, or Sunday night of the things that you accomplished that week. That really goes a long way and I think will fast track anybody's career. And then inside of events, when you first get into events, being able to learn all about the important logistics is key. So name badges, registration, like I said, making sure those lines don't get too long. The overall logistics of of how to plan an event are important. But the whole point of learning how to be a master at logistics is to then be able to be a great crisis manager on site and how to stay calm. Because kind of going back to what we were talking about when things go wrong at events, I think one of the most important qualities of a great event planner is to be able to be a crisis manager. Because no matter how much you plan, inevitably something's going to happen. And it's all about knowing, okay, we can fix this. Let's just figure out how to fix it. And once you get a really good understanding of the logistics that need to happen and get those in place, then you can be a really effective event planner on site. And that I think goes a long way in fast tracking your career as well. I do want to take a second and, you know, we're talking about all these different crises. I know right now the events industry is, we're recording this in the beginning of March and it's really being hit heavily by coronavirus. So many event cancellations, Facebook, F8. uh, Mobile World Congress. Mobile World Congress over in Barcelona. This is something that's just not seen coming at all and it's really shaking up the events industry. What are some of your sort of biggest takeaways from this, this moment? You don't want to instill panic in anyone, but I think that being event planners that are looking out for your attendees is really important. So early on, we had an event in early February and coronavirus was, it was still coming up and it was in the news. It's it's not as intense as it was today. But one of the things that we decided to do on site is offer hand sanitizer at registration as well as emergency packets. 
And those emergency packets went a long way. I mean, they were a delight for our attendees. So now we're going to do them no matter what at an event moving forward, whether there's coronavirus or not. But I think looking out for your attendees is is really important. But being aware of what's happening and weaving those current events into your event and, and letting your attendees know that they're top of mind. And then, you know, deciding to cancel an event or reschedule an event is a big deal. We put in a lot of time. People plan these events for a year, sometimes two years leading up to the conference. And to have to cancel it at the, at the last minute is not an easy decision to make. But events are always going to be here. I think that's my biggest thing is I've been reading some emails from different industry publications saying it's stressful and you don't want to see your events get canceled, but events are always going to be here. Whether this event is canceled this year, your attendees are going to come back next year. So putting your attendees first and their health and their peace of mind to me is the most important thing to keep in mind when something like this is happening. And I think that within the event industry, vendors and event planners support one another. So if your contract isn't the most forgiving for something like this. I think that uh, many event planners would find that if they called their sales manager at a venue or a vendor and say, can you believe this is happening? People will work together to to figure out a way where it can be as much of a win-win solution as possible. So picking up that phone and calling the people that you're working with and troubleshooting, I think that there will be more solutions than challenges when we all work together through something like this. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your your perspectives on it. It's uh, very helpful to hear. I've seen myself a, a great deal of uncertainty in the industry, but at the same time, people are making it work. They're just yeah. they're making it work and whether that's postponing an event, making it digital, pushing it to next year or just later in the current year. I think it goes back to qualities of an event planner is resiliency. I yeah. think that is, is one yeah, Huge. one that many event planners hold. A few more questions for us today. First off, who's someone you look up to in events, marketing, or business in general? The person that came to mind for me was Oprah, but I think everybody <laughs> loves Oprah. She's amazing and a huge inspiration. There are certain qualities that really inspire me and that I admire. And for me, it's when a leader has no ego and fully supports the people that work for them. So a leader that's always kind, never condescending. I've seen many people across events that can be condescending, just in all walks of life, people encounter this. And and that's just the worst thing to see. So someone that's not condescending and instills confidence in another person is someone that I really admire. And then also someone that's really able to clearly cut through problems to the core issue in a way that makes a problem actually seem like no big deal. It's a hard thing to take a complex issue and then distill it down into a very simple thought. And so when I see someone that can do that, I am always really inspired. What's a piece of advice you'd give an earlier version of yourself and why? The hard stuff is going to be what makes you successful in the future. That first event that I talked about where the registration line was wrong and the person was saying, this is the worst event that I've ever been to. That was a hard night for me when I went back to my hotel room. I was 23 years old, 24 years old. Definitely tears were shed. And I thought, oh my gosh, can I do this? Is Am I good at this? Is, am I going to succeed? So I would go back and say, you know, this hard stuff is going to give you a way to learn and how to do better in the future. And it's not for nothing. There's really a lesson here and that you're capable. And that's something that I would tell a new event planner as well. 
So useful to hear. And again, I know you've had a very fun ride in events and uh, just have a lot of great experiences to draw on. So final question, how can our listeners keep up with uh, Rakuten and all the great work you're doing there? We post all about our events on LinkedIn. So if you connect with me on LinkedIn, we'll post as events come up. Optimism, we have up just to save the date page right now, optimism.rocketon.us, but we'll be launching that event soon. And it's a great event for anyone in marketing. I mean, even event planners might be interested in attending really great content. And we also have a fun entertainment act at the end of the event. Last year, we had Usher. The year before that, we had Shakira. So surprise who our next act is going to be, but definitely stay in touch with us from that website. And then I have an Instagram profile for event planners called Lucky Box Cutter. And it's just a community for event planners. I wanted to create something that was a bit self-deprecating and honest (laughs) about the hardships of events and the humor of the job. And that's my goal with Lucky Box Cutter is just to provide some levity to event planners' days. So Much, much needed levity, to be sure. Yeah. Amazing. Sarah, thank you so much for for taking the time to speak today. I just really appreciate the optimism with which you've embraced your career at every step of the way to now. And that sense of humor as well is just very helpful to hear. And I'm sure our audience is going to appreciate it as well. Thanks, Brandon. It was so fun to talk to you. And I hope whoever's listening, you know, we can connect over on Instagram and share some more event stories. Thank you, Sarah, for joining us. And thank you all for listening. Again, there's a lot of uncertainty in the industry right now. Events are being virtualized, postponed, or outright canceled. I've heard, personally, many event organizers question the future of face-to-face events. Once we move to virtual events, will attendees ever want to meet in person again? Will attendees be able to overcome the current aura of fear surrounding large gatherings? Will the in-person events industry just straight up be able to survive? We are no doubt in a watershed moment that will likely lead to a future where both virtual and in-person events become mainstays in the playbooks of event teams across verticals. But the power of in-person can't be underestimated and shouldn't be overlooked. As Sarah puts it, events are always going to be here. Okay. I'm going to step off my soapbox now. That's it. If you'd like to share some feedback for an in-person or suggest a guest or topic for us to cover in future episodes, please drop us a line at in-person at visibo.com. We always look forward to hearing what you have to say. You can also find full transcripts of the show along with key takeaways at inpersonpodcast.com. Until next time, I'm Brandon Raffleson. This has been In Person and keep staying resilient.